All right. Angie's going to get things kicked off, and then uh, I'm going to come in on the back side there. Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Can you guys just stand with me? I know Vince just prayed, but I need to pray. Uh, Jesus, we just know that you've come to meet with us in such a holy way this morning. That is your intention to do heart work this morning. And right now as a body, we yield to your hand. To your way, to your work. We sense you in this room and you've come as the great shepherd. The one who comes with a rod and a staff in your hand. Because your love for us is so great, you will not leave us where we've found ourselves. You're the shepherd who goes after the one. Your love is so fierce and unrelenting, and we can't even begin to comprehend. And as you come and stand beside each of us today, softening us from the inside out, I'm praying that each of us has the courage to turn and face you, to look fully in your eyes. To see the determined love pouring out. We are yours. We are yours. We are yours. We are wholeheartedly yours. I declare it over us right now. That we are yours. We are wholeheartedly yours. Full devotion to you. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. How could we ever turn from your gaze? How could we? Return us to first love. Rend our hearts. Oh, Jesus. Great is your love. 
great is your love. Just tell him that. Great is your love. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We trust you. We trust you. You're a good shepherd. You're a good shepherd. Amen. You can be seated. <laughs> We're going to start in Second Samuel 6. That way I don't sniffle the whole time. Excuse me. Maybe I will. I don't know. Making no promises. Pepper just said that, I said, I'm a mess. And Pepper said, sacrifice is messy, Angie. So deal with it. Okay. See, there I go with the sniffles. Okay. 2 Samuel 6, this is a story that we sing about that's probably too familiar for us, and we need to better understand the contents of it. We sing the song, I'll become even more undignified than this. We're very familiar with David's dance, but we have no idea what led to it. We're just going to read the whole chapter. And I'm probably going to stop and say thanks, so keep track of where I'm at. It's your job. David, again, assembled all the fit young men in Israel, 30,000. I want you to capture the details. Details are important. Capture the details. 30,000 men assembled. For this event, he and all his troops set out to bring the Ark of God from Baal Judah. The Ark bears the name, the name of the Lord of Armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They set the Ark of God on a new cart and transported it from Abinadab's house, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio. Sons of Abinadab, you know, you read through this in your mind and then you don't even think like, I don't know how to pronounce these words. It's fine. They were guiding the cart and brought it with the ark of God from Abinadab's house on the hill. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and the whole house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all kinds of fir wood instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, Sistrums and cymbals. When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. And I think it's important that we remember what the threshing floor represents. 
This is the space where Jesus isn't playing around. This is a space where he is making sure that all of his good and perfect intentions within us are protected fiercely. Who is man that we should reach out to study the presence of God? We do this. We get uncomfortable and we step in like Uzzah, Uzzah, however the heck you pronounce his name, and we attempt to steady it to our comfort level. Because we are idolatrous in nature. We have idols that we would prefer to protect because our flesh likes them. So we steady the presence of God. Bringing this to our attention because I know where we're going. And I know what God's good intentions are for this body, for this house. And we cannot have any tolerance for anyone attempting to reach out to steady the presence of God. I don't care how uncomfortable it gets. Yield to it. Don't run from it. Don't attempt to mock it. Don't attempt to study it. Yield. Admit that your flesh desires something other than the full-on presence of God. It's okay. We can admit that. My flesh doesn't fully like what the presence of God brings because my flesh has security blankets. Fear, pride, shame. I know it's ridiculous to talk like this. To admit that shame, fear, pride, and the like are security blankets for us, but they are. And I think that we can go ahead and throw trauma in with this. We can throw in safety with this. We are so looking for a God that is safe. And he killed him. He killed him on the threshing floor. Uzzah, who's a priest, reached out to steady the ark. He died. He's not a safe God. He's holy. And he will protect his good and perfect intentions in each one of us. When we get in the way, something must die. We've been saying this a lot lately, expand or die, but it's really die, expand, or die, right? Because we have to die in order to expand. But if we don't expand, we're going to die. Are you following me? Like, God is being so fierce right now. And a, a part of me, I will admit to you, does not like it. It's uncomfortable. But there's another part of me that is like, all I want is you. And if that does not become our innate response to him, we will die in another way. It is our choice. Die now or die later by attempting to steady the presence of the Lord. Because he's going to come in and he's going to do things 
that feel inappropriate to us. They're going to grate against us because he is so other than what we have regarded him as. We love to assemble and sing, come by here, my Lord. I want to feel you. I want the holy goosebumps. But what are we going to do when he actually comes the way that he presents himself in the Bible? Buildings shake, earth quakes, people die. What are we going to do? We have to yield. We have to yield to him now. Anyway, let's continue reading. He reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence. And he died there next to the ark of God. David was angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. So he named the place outburst against Uzzah appropriate. David feared the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? So he was not willing to bring the ark of the Lord to the city of David. Instead, he diverted it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained in his house three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his whole family. Do we rightly understand what the presence of the Lord carries? Do we understand what happens when he fills a room? Or are we just content to sing, come and fill the room? We talked about this months ago, that it's not about what I am, but who I am. God is not content to have a people that are obsessed with what he is and what he can bring. It's about who he is. Regarding who he is. Do you want to know why I think Uzzah had to die? Do you know why it was an irreverent moment? I realize we're all like, ha! I know. It's an intense moment. But Uzzah did not believe that God was capable of protecting himself. How many of you get caught up in defending yourself? <laughs> Stop. It's not your job. You don't belong to you. He doesn't need anyone to defend what he's doing. This is why he's saying, I want you to give up your reputation. If you do not slaughter, sacrifice, crucify your reputation, you will crave what your flesh wants. You will say yes to things that are unholy without even realizing it. It's true. I've done it. We will actually partner with demonic spirits when we're unwilling to give up our reputation. When we are so unwilling to say, I want what you want. We say it, it's lip service, but we don't live it. 
we will take the next best thing because our flesh wants to be comforted. It doesn't want to be crucified. David feared the Lord that day. He named the place. So he was not willing to bring the ark of the Lord. We already read this and continuing. It was reported to King David. The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's family and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and had the ark of God brought up from Obed-Edom's house to the city of David with rejoicing. When those carrying the ark of the Lord advanced six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened calf. What? One, two, three, four, five, six. That, this is how far this has gotten me. Six steps before a fattened calf had to be sacrificed. Some other things happened because David readjusted, right? As one does when God kills people. He readjusted. You see, the first time when he attempted to bring the ark into Jerusalem, David went in his royal robes. We need to know when to wear the right apparel. Who are you calling me to be in this moment? David changed his dress and he changed his posture from a king to a priest. He put on a linen ephod the second time around. Why does this matter? Because it's important that we understand what it is that we're doing at any given moment. It's important. David changed his mind. He didn't say, oh, woe is me. I'm no longer a king. I can't do anything right. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about shifting when God says to shift. Because putting on a linen ephod as a king, one, he's representing something absolutely beautiful. David, remember, David lived so far beyond his time. David lived within a space of grace that really wasn't available at that time unless you know who the Lamb of God is. And he did. So David is here representing the, the mandate to be priests and kings. And he rightly chose to put on the linen ephod. And I wrote some notes because I thought that it was really helpful to understand that the linen ephod was what a high priest would wear to go into the temple in order to sacrifice something before the Lord for atonement. This was something that they would wear because they would empty themselves of everything. And a linen ephod, would, ephod was sheer, likely see-through. It speaks to transparency before the Lord. I'm hiding nothing from you. Expose me. Search me, oh God. Find any hidden thing in me because I don't want anything. What I value in this moment is your presence. 
the linen ephod represented humanity. And he knew that the only way to rightly get the Ark of the Covenant to its rightful place was for him to become less, for him to remove his royal robes because he was surrounded by royalty, to put on the least of these. And what we don't fully understand is that priests, when they go out ahead, they're clearing the way. Do you remember what John the Baptist said of himself? I'm here just to make a way. I'm here to make a way because a one greater than I is coming. And that's what he was doing. David was making a way for the Ark of the Covenant, for the presence to come. It's a beautiful picture. And he danced. He exchanged his royal robes for priestly garments. And one commentary that I read said that he put on the linen ephod so he could move more freely, which is very practical. But he danced, and it actually says that this dance was a whirl, that he would spin, spin, not spit, spin in circles before the Lord. And this is where the song comes in. I'll become even more undignified than this. Do you think David cared one bit about his reputation in this moment? The first go round, he gathers 30,000 people and he's dressed in his royal garments and he's like, look at me. I'm bringing the Lord to his rightful place. such an arrogant picture and we take this posture all the time. Look at me. Our Western culture Christianity is riddled with this. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me in my fullness. Look what I can do. You see, the Lamb of God did what he did and is worthy to receive the reward of his suffering, which is us, in fullness. I am not negating fullness. Don't misunderstand me. It's a heart posture. Why am I expanding? I'm not expanding so I can be known. I am expanding to make him known. Big difference. I don't care when I own about Angie. It's Jesus. I want to see him lifted high because he promises if we lift him high, if we rightly regard his name, he will draw. Amen. Do you know that it is his mercy? It is his mercy that people are leaving Western culture churches right now. It is his mercy. Because we're not lifting his name high. Our discipleship reeks of arrogance. Yeah, let's schedule a time to meet, and I'll continue to drum you back to me over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. 
I want you to look like me. I want you to smell like me. I want you to start dressing like me, talk like me, walk like me. Be me. No wonder it's not working. We're called to expand to make much of Jesus Christ and all that he has accomplished on our behalf. Because he's worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. And this is such a picture. This whole story is such a picture of getting it backward and then correcting. And that's what repentance is, right? It's getting it wrong, but being willing to hear, respond, turn, change your mind. It is the heart of this house to move in power. But we are going to get the first thing first. Jesus. We are here to behold the lamb. We are here to make much of Jesus. We cannot afford it any other way. It has to be about Jesus. It can't be about you. It has to be about Jesus. Let's continue to read the story. When those carrying the ark of the Lord advanced six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened calf. David was dancing with all his might before the Lord wearing a linen ephod. He and the whole house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of the ram's horn. Do you see? It's not that he disassembled the people. He just rightly assembled them. Right? Before it was 30,000 men gathered around to see David in his royal robes leading this procession of the Ark of the Covenant. The second time around, they are all entered in. Can you see this? Are you seeing this? I need you to rightly see this. Okay? We need to see this. This is the difference of what has been modeled for us and where we're going. Everyone gets to play. That was, a, that, that was something that John Wimber, when he started the um, Vineyard Church, <laughs> that was some, that's one of his quotes, is that he wanted to be a part of something where everyone gets to play. But we have turned this into a show. Sunday mornings are concerts, and they can't be anymore because everyone gets to play. We need to change our mind. It's no longer about David leading the, leading the procession in his royal robes. It's about putting on our linen ephod and rightly stewarding the priesthood of kingship. Yes, it's different. And we will all dance. All means all. See, we love the language of our Bible, and we love to make a big deal about all means all when it comes to the cross. But see, you have a job to do in this all scenario. 
You have to enter in. Do you want to know what Jesus said to me? And I was not planning on going here, but I'm going to go here. This is what Jesus has been talking to me about. And this is slightly, I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to weigh it for you. This is what he said to me. He says, I am sick of my bride hanging out outside of my room. I want a bride that will go all the way. And I get it. There's some sexual connotation in that. Don't get weird. He refers to himself as the bridegroom, and he is after a pure and spotless bride. Do we even know what that means? What does it mean to be a pure bride? It means that all of my affections are open to him, all of them, and I will go the distance with him. I'm not going to withhold. Don't be a lazy bride. Give yourself to him. We are going to be those who expand before him to make much of his name. We will be those who cry out, Lord Jesus, you are worthy to receive the reward of your suffering. We can have it no other way because I know what it is that he's wanting to do but we're not exactly ready. We are still those who want to study the presence. We're still those who want to stand outside of the chamber bedroom. We are. We're still those who won't go all the way. But that's what he's looking for. That's what he's aching for. It's what his heart beats for. He's looking for a place, a people who will rightly carry his presence. And that means we all must expand, not a few of us, all of us. We have to be those who will be obedient, even when we missed it the first time. That we won't yield to pride when we mess up, we won't run. We won't hide. We'll stand and we'll say, search me, oh God. We'll yield to his rod and to his staff. And we will know that his discipline is what comforts us. Yes? As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Saul's daughter, Michael, Michael, however you want to say her name, looked down from the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. This is a picture of another part of the church, isn't it? If we're not trying to be the it person, we're the ones that are despising the worship in our hearts. We are. That's what we're doing. When we do have the people that are all the way expanded and they're going all in and, and they are just, their, their hearts are rent before the Lord and they, they can't stop themselves. They have to keep going. They're just pressing and pressing and pressing. And there are those standing by going, what do they think they're doing? And it's gross. What she did here was gross. And guess what? It doesn't rob the one who expanded. It robs the one judging. They brought the ark 
of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent David had pitched for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings in the Lord's presence. When David had finished offering the burnt offering and the fellowship offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of armies. Then he distributed a loaf of bread, a date cake, and a raisin cake to each one in the entire Israelite community, both men and women. Then all the people went home. Everyone. Say all. All. Everyone got to enjoy in this moment. Before, it was about David. Dude, like, let me just remind you of what he said. How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? This is his response to to Uzzah dying and not wanting to touch the dang ark anymore. Like, everyone back away. This is his response. How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? What? But the second time around, because he didn't yield to his pride, everyone, his response changes to how can I incorporate everyone? See, we have misunderstood. We, we look out with our natural eyes, with our shame eyes, with our flesh eyes, and we say, the world is going to hell. But see, the Bible actually tells us that Jesus is the desire of the nations. And if we cannot land there, we are in a disagreement with God. If we are going to look out and continue to judge the world by anything less than Jesus is what it desires right now. If we can't make that agreement, then we are in a disagreement with God. If we're going to rightly steward, if we all are going to usher the presence anywhere, we have to change our mind. The nations are desiring the presence. The nations. It's a big difference. How will I ever draw it into me? How do we get it out there, right? Big difference. When David returned home to bless his household, I love that, Saul's daughter. And I also think it's interesting that um, she's referred to as Saul's daughter rather than David's wife. Saul's daughter, Michal, came out to meet him. How the king of Israel honored himself today, she said. Do you see what she's doing? We have to understand the tactics of the enemy, okay? Do you see what she's doing? She is now referring to what happened the first go-round. That's covered. There's already been an atonement every six steps, right? Every six steps slaughtered, covered. But, oh, not Mikkel. She's drudging up things that are covered in the blood. Look how you've honored yourself today, David. When you stand by mocking what it looks like to go all in, you will partner with a voice from a lesser space. 
you might not actually give voice to it, but in your mind, these words will be rolling around and it is your job to take that captive and to submit it under the, unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That is a high thing that needs to be smashed because it is raising itself up against the pure intentions of the Lord. We do this to one another. We haven't rightly stewarded one another because we're so busy judging because we're dissatisfied within ourselves. We have to all go in because we don't want to have any Saul's daughters standing by making judgments and holding one another hostage to something that happened three months ago, right? Like our job as a company of people who are ushering in the presence of God is to constantly upgrade one another. Like I refuse to see if David was standing here right now and it was just three weeks ago, I would have to say, David, that's not who you are anymore. Right? Have I made my point? Do we understand? Yes? Okay. How the king of Israel has honored himself today, she said. He exposed himself today in the sight of the slave girls of his subjects like a vulgar person would expose himself. Whew. David replied to Mikkel, it was before the Lord who chose me over your father. Okay. It was before the Lord who chose me over your father and his whole family to appoint me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will dance before the Lord and I will dishonor myself and humble myself even more. He doesn't even, he doesn't even engage in the fight. He's like, you think I'm dishonored? You ain't seen nothing. I want us there. I want us to this space where we care so little about our reputation, about what it looks like, that, that our ego is no longer playing, where we can be like, I'm not going to make up excuses for going all in, for expanding before the Lord. I'm not going to relent. I'm not going to back down because I'm afraid of your judgments. Right? Let's be those people. David replied to Michaela. Oh, I already said that. Um, however, by the... What? Hold, where was I? And I will dishonor myself and humble myself even more. However, by the slave girls you spoke about, I will be honored. Jeez. And Saul's daughter, Michal, had no child to the day of her death. So this is uh, this, this whole story, we could read into this for hours on end because there is a lot in there. And even that, do you see? Do you see what happened to her? Because she refused to insert herself into what was happening. She stood on the outskirts outside the king's chamber doors making judgments of the ones who were going the distance, expanding themselves. There's no inheritance. She, she can hand nothing off. 
She has no offspring. She is not even following the simplicity of be blessed and multiply. She has nothing. Nothing. She's left with nothing. So before you decide to stand by outside of those inner chambers and mock what's going on, consider. Consider the fact that you will have nothing to look back on because you end there. I don't know about you, but I am interested in raising up sons and daughters. That's what I'm interested in. And we aren't talking about physical offspring only. That, yes. But she had no spiritual children to speak of. David's lineage is still moving on. It's still reproducing. Not Mikkel. Dead at death. David is dead. But his inheritance is still increasing. And that's what I want for us. This can only happen if we expand and go all the way. All right, we got to wake up. There is too much distraction going on in the room right now. Too many people not fully engaged in what Angie's talking about. Undivided attention is what you should be giving up here right now because what she is offering to you is life. When she's talking about David putting on the linen ephod, there was a conviction there that led him to do that, to lead the ark into the holy city the right way, with the right heart. That was the point where he said, enough is enough. And I'm going to enter in as a priest. That's the point where he was given his undivided attention to God. And laying everything out there. Totally exposed. Not hiding anything. But turning and facing God. And you talked about John the Baptist making a way for Jesus. And in Matthew 3, where he is presented there, he is baptizing in the Jordan River. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees show up. And what does he do? He calls them out right there. He calls them a brood of vipers, right? He says, who told you you need to run from the coming wrath? One of the things you got to understand about these groups of people is, is that they didn't like each other already. But they definitely didn't like what was coming. They didn't like what John was doing. They definitely defied what Jesus was doing. The Pharisees followed the exact letter of the law and all the hundreds of oral traditions that they passed out. But what they failed to do was connect to the heart of it. They missed what was behind that. And they wanted to hold everyone accountable to it. 
without understanding the connection. Like the connection David made when he said, I'm going to do this the right way. I'm going to come in as a priest and we're going to clear the way. The Sadducees, they wanted to use their use the law for political power. Again, misuse, missing the connection. And in that moment, John is calling them to repentance. He tells them to repent, to get their hearts right, because he knows they're just showing up just simply to put on a display. There's no connection there with their heart to what it is that he's doing. And he's baptizing in the Jordan River, likely in the very spot where Joshua and the Israelites crossed over into the promised land after Moses died. And one of the things that God told Joshua when they did that was, don't look to the left or right. Stay focused on what it is I've called you to do. And so now John has this two groups of people who are anything but focused on what God has called them into and what he's offered them in connection through the law that was given to them. And so he's calling them into repentance. He tells them, you can't even point back and say, Abraham is our father. So we have that connection there. You can't even say that because he points to the rocks. And it doesn't say if he's pointing at the rocks at his feet or the uh, altar that Joshua set up with 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. We don't know which it is. But he says that God can raise up these rocks, these stones, as sons. Your connection to Abraham isn't doing it. It's your heart connection to repentance that you need to enter into. There was a conviction there that he was trying to call them to. So just like David came to that point where he said enough is enough, John was calling these groups of people and all the people that were there being baptized to say, enough is enough, repent. Turn back to God. Turn your face back to him. And make that connection there. Right after that, Jesus shows up. And John baptizes him. Not without a little protest on John's part, right? He wants to say, I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. But it had to happen right? This baptism had to happen. It was prophesied. Everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament under that old covenant, Jesus fulfilled. Everything. And this was one of them. You had the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Savior of everything. Connecting with us coming as a sinner needing repentance and connecting with our situation. Talking about conviction today, because there has to be 
some point, again, where you say enough is enough. I'm going to give my undivided attention to what it is that you're calling me to do. I'm not going to look left or right. I'm going to stay focused on that. I'm going to lead a disciplined life and follow what it is that you're asking me to do. We've been talking about this for a few weeks now, ever since the conference, about giving your yes to God. That's the first yes. Yes, I will follow into this calling. Yes, I will count the cost. And when I do that now, I'm going to enter into the surrender that is required to do that. I'm going to surrender my life, surrender my will, surrender my reputation to say yes. And there's going to be a lot of other yeses that come along with that. You have people here that are going to hold you accountable to that. You have other people in your lives that can hold you accountable to that. But you have to be committed. You have to be committed to what it is that he's asking you to do. If you're not committed to the every six steps and the sacrifice, you might as well not go. It's going to take commitment. It's going to take you being consistent in following through. It's going to take you being consistent and committed to surrendering. He's leading you to good pastures. Understand that. Right? The surrender isn't always going to be this painful, agonizing thing that we imagine it to be. This is why when we talk about counting the cost, you have to not just count the cost of what you're sacrificing, but what you're gaining to in the promise. Right? You have to be committed to this. You have to be committed to what he's calling you to do. When he shows you a picture of you doing something, do that. When you say you're going to do something, follow through. Give him your undivided attention where you're not looking left and right. You're focused on him. Another thing that John says in Matthew 3 is that there's one coming who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. God is going to be up in your business and he's going to be refining you with fire. He's going to be turning up the heat and putting the pressure on that brings refinement, that builds character. One of the things we misunderstand about correction and about discipline is we think it's punishment, and that's not it. That's not what it is. What it is is building your character, and it's making you better. It's a refinement.
Are you going to let him refine you? I hear yeses. Are you going to be committed to that? Worship team, come on up. Lord, I thank you so much for what it is that you are doing today. I thank you that you are going out and you're refining us, that you are calling us into something greater. I thank you for the connection that we have that you, you built for us. I thank you for your sacrifice that allows us to be a new creation. I thank you for that sacrifice that now we get to move and operate out of this house of power here. That we get to take our dominion and exercise that. I ask that as we enter into this time now that you would continue to refine us. Turn up the heat on us. We dance before you today in our linen ephods as priests, bearing it all. We're hiding nothing. Search us, God. Search us. In Jesus' name.